You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Anyone got their Bibles tonight? Why don't you turn with me quickly to John chapter 2, John chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I just want to lay some groundwork since I'm new to the house. But pretty simple. You know, you can respond. You can say, preach it, white boy. You can say, I like your skinny jeans. Or to be honest, you know, a lot of times we think that response is something that's hype-driven. But response, as I've realized, it is not about hype. It's actually something that's holy. In fact, the Bible says that all of God's promises, if you don't get anything, just get this. This is for free. You can leave now right after this, but please don't because it's going to get better. But the Bible says that all of God's promises, isn't this amazing? All of God's promises, every single promise he's promised you, your family, your children, your children's children, your children's children's children, your life and your legacy, every promise God's already said yes to. The Bible says that all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And then there's a contingency, but with our amen. So all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus, but there's a contingency. It still requires our amen, which means every time you hear the gospel being communicated, God's promises are never looking for your assessment. They're simply looking for your agreement. The devil, the devil and God are looking for one thing daily, agreement. And so when you say amen, you're not putting a period at the end of a prayer, but you're putting an exclamation point at the beginning of a declaration. You're saying, so be it. Let that live in my life. I'm in agreement and alignment with what God's saying. So you're not just creating some hype in the atmosphere. You're actually standing in alignment and agreement with what God wants to release on the planet, which means, is there a yes in the house tonight? Is there an amen in the house tonight? And when there's more yeses than no's in a room, you know what I call that? Revival. The definition of revival is when there's more agreement than disagreement in the house, when there's more yeses than noes, when there's more amens than maybes or hows or whys. So if you would shift your faith into agreement tonight, it would be unbelievable to see what God's going to do. In fact, when we're all in agreement, it says that's where God commands his blessing. So you know, you have the ability to request his blessing, but you could also demand his blessing by being in agreement through alignment in the word, amen. So there's an amen tonight? Okay, we're going to be good. John chapter 2. Anyone there? John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the Never Incorrect Version, also known as the NIV. It wasn't that funny. It wasn't. It was was all right, but it wasn't that funny. John chapter 2, verse 1. Anyone got their Bibles here at C3? Still using the Bible? Okay, thank you. John chapter 2. Primary text this evening. John chapter 2, verse 1. One, going to read through 11. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, look to your neighbor and say, They ought to wine. Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, Jesus responds in a form and a fashion that no man is ever allowed to respond to his mother, his sister, or especially his wife. Come on, somebody. Jesus, as only Jesus could do, goes, Woman. And you know he said it like that. It wasn't like woman. He was like, woman. He held it like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, he, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And I love Mary's response. She might be like, hey, you're still God, but I'm still your mother. Amen. And all the moms said, Amen. happy late Mother's Day. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, a.k.a. they're inebriated. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. If you're taking notes tonight, and I encourage you to do, it's biblically founded that you're more likely to get into heaven if you do take notes. You, you might get to the gate and you'd be like, show us your work, like a math problem. Like how, how, did you, how did you get here? Do you have one piece of paper that says anything about Jesus on it? If you're taking notes, the title of this message, two words, super simple, now faith. Now faith. Why don't you just touch two to three people gently, nicely, and just say, now faith. Now faith. Now, now, now faith. Can I pray with you this evening? Father God, I thank you that you're here, that you're in the room. God, I thank you that even as we're speaking, miracles are taking place. God, there's financial breakthroughs taking place. There's marriages being restored. There's identity crises that are being calmed. God, I thank you, Lord, that my words are on assignment tonight, that you would anoint every one of them, that they would be on assignment to every heart, penetrating lives back to purpose, back to promise, back to destiny, back to your dream. God, I declare that everything in here that's dead, that's supposed to be alive, would come back to life in Christ Jesus. And as always, God, I pray that I would not be a man that stands on a platform and becomes famous, but I would be the man that becomes a platform that you stand on and are made famous this evening. When we leave here tonight, may we only talk about one name and one name alone, Jesus Christ. God, we give you all the honor, all the praise. There's never been a better time to be alive, to be a Christian, and to be a part of C3. And all God's people said? Amen. All God's people said? Amen. You know, as we look at this primary text that we open with, it's probably a familiar passage of Scripture. Many of you have at least read once or possibly heard a sermon on. How many are familiar with this water into wine? Yeah, pretty common water into wine miracle. And if you were to be honest, I grew up a church kid living in 100 houses before I was 25. That's not preacher's liberty. That's, that's my journey, people. God's been gracious with me. My wife's domesticated me now. And... I'm healed and restored, but this, this is a passage of scripture we kind of just start with and move on to. Like, hey, cool, Jesus, I get it. There's no water, and I mean, there's no wine, and then there's some water, and now that water's wine. Like, let's get on to some real miracles, right? Like, what about Lazarus being raised from the dead? Or when are you gonna spit on some dirt and make some miracle mud and rub it into a blind man's eyes? Like, when are we gonna multiply all the, all the guys especially, multiply the loaves and the fish? Like, when's that filet fish Happy Meal gonna feed thousands of people, right? Like, we wanna get on to the new miracles or the greater miracles, but what's so significant about this miracle is this is Jesus's first miracle. This is the first miracle as God will, will begin to demonstrate Jesus Christ through his son, fully God and fully man, begins to operate in a new way of living. See, he didn't come to extend an existing religion. He came to introduce a brand new paradigm of functioning on the planet. And this is his first miracle. And, and, and there's a theological understanding called the law of first mention that says this. It says when something is introduced first in scripture, it's not only introduced in its simplest form or its purest form, but the way in which God intended it and designed it to exist. 
so Jedediah, why is this significant? Well, if you were to try to study, let me just give you the power of first mention. If you try to study your identity or understand your purpose on the planet and you started in the New Testament, you would miss out on something because the humanity of identity is not introduced in the New Testament, but it's introduced in Genesis right back in the beginning. And the law of first mention says that God clearly builds a case when he introduces humanity into scripture of the purest form and the simplest form in the way that he designed us and intended us to live. Are you following with me? So why is it significant? Well, one thing we know about our existence, if you go back to Genesis, is that he created us in his image, which means you right now carry the image of God. Now, you may not understand the revelation behind it, but you need to know that Lucifer, who became Satan, when he fell from heaven to earth, and he was sent to earth on punishment, one of the reasons why he fell, Isaiah told us, is that he wanted to be like God. He actually says, I want to be like God, which means I want to carry the image of God. I want to resemble God without God. So imagine when God sends Lucifer here, now Satan, to the earth as punishment, not as paradise. I know I'm talking fast. Just follow with me. This is all for free and for fun. When he sends them here as punishment, not as paradise, imagine he does nothing with the dirt. He doesn't create anything out of the dirt. He builds nothing from the dirt. All he does is occupy the dirt. And all of a sudden, God takes the very fabric of the world he can do nothing with, and he begins to form it together to look like me and you. And then he says the very thing the enemy wanted to be without God, let us make man in our image. What does this mean? This means that your face on your worst day, when you wake up and you're broken and beaten and defeated and discouraged and you feel left out or overlooked, that your image alone is a reminder to the enemy of his greatest defeat. So when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like you've won, your face alone reminds him that it's already over, that you already have the victory because you were made in God's image. Now, you wouldn't know this if you started in Matthew. The second thing we know is that God did not speak humanity into existence. He breathed humanity into existence. Why is that significant? Because God's words create worlds. So everything he created but humanity, he spoke into existence. And when he speaks something into existence, the word actually creates the reality in which something can live, but the limit in which it can exist. Let me explain this. When he said tree, the word tree, this is so good. Isn't this good? I'm enjoying it myself. The word, God's just so crazy. The word tree, when he said the word tree, it actually created the reality in which that tree could be, but because he spoke it into the existence, it defined what the tree could not be. So you can be tree, but you will not be mountain, you will not be cloud, and you will not be horse. Why? Because my words not only created you, but they also defined you, which is why monkey could never be man, because monkey was spoken into existence, not breathed into existence, so he created the reality in which it could live, but the limit in which it could exist. But when it comes to humanity, isn't this crazy? He does not speak us into existence because he doesn't want to limit us. He breathes us into existence, which one, now he gives us your, your, his image, then he gives you his very voice because his breath is living inside of you and that thing resonating over your vocal cords is actually his voice coming out of, out of you, which is why he said guard your tongue, not for fun, but because the power of life and death is in it because just like Christ, you have the ability to create worlds with your words. And then he gives you dominion over everything. Have you ever wondered why the three things the enemy attacks is your identity and then your voice and then your authority? Because he knows it's directly connected to God's original design and destiny for humanity. This is the significance of the law first mentioned. Anyone a believer? So now as we turn towards the first miracle Jesus ever did, we have to look at it through a brand new lens because he is now introducing in its simplest form and fashion a lifestyle that all of us can live within. Do you want this? 
So the first thing we can learn from this first miracle, number one, if you, if you miss this, you miss the whole message. Number one, Jesus likes to party. I think I, I, think I got to, some of you are like, I knew it. I knew he liked to party. It's evident. By the way, we jump around. Jesus, Jesus likes to party. Okay, maybe you're like, Jedediah, you got to go a little deeper than that. Well, if Jesus isn't at this party, then Jesus wouldn't be there. Like Jedediah, we got Pastor Jurgen. You know how many people come through. You better go a little deeper. Here's what I'm trying to say. Well, we avoid the enemy invades. What I'm trying to say is that as a church, what we avoid, the enemy invades. So you have to understand that this first miracle does not take at place at a church. It takes place at a party. So 2,000 years ago, when Christ laid on that cross, he poured out every inch of his blood, his breath, and his flesh for each and every one of you. And he looked up at his father and said, why have you forsaken me? I don't think his vision or his dream was so that church could live 75 to 90 minutes on a Sunday. I don't think he's like, this is epic. I lay it all down, and I get them for two hours on Sunday. Yay, this is crazy. No. I don't think that's why he died. He did not die so that we could come to church. He died so that we could become the church. Which means if church is just something you come to, then it's something you leave. If church is just something you come to, then it's just something you leave. It just becomes one of the many things you do in life. I go to church and I go home, I go shopping, come on somebody, and I go home, I go to the game, or I go to the gym, or I go to work. It's just one of the many things you do in life. But when you don't come to church, but you become the church, then everything you do in life, you do as the church which means you're not a second grade educator that's enduring these kids five days a week so that you can simply come to church on Sunday. No, it's actually the church that's teaching those second graders, which means you're not an entrepreneur or a successful businessman who's simply creating wealth so that you can dump it into the church on Sunday. No, it's actually the church that's doing the business, which is why we have to have a higher standard than the world because we don't have a business and go to church. Our business is. Which means if we're actually to set up the service right, the chairs would be facing the door. Because every word would only be lived with the world in mind. When you, we didn't come to church today, we gathered as the church. I actually believe church does not happen until we leave the doors. This is us gathering as a church so that we can be equipped, empowered, activated, refueled, filled up and focused so that we can go be commissioned back into the world. Why? Because the great suggestion, no, the great commission is the mandate for every single believer. If you're wondering why on the planet, God gave every single one of us the exact same mandate, which is the great commission, which is to go and make disciples of entire nations, which means God's mandate for your life is to disciple nations. Another way to put it would be to lead nations. Because if you were to disciple anyone, you would have to lead them. So the Great Commission is not a mobilization mandate. It's a leadership mandate where God's called us to lead everyone everywhere in every sphere of society and influence that we live in. Now, for many of us, we might not be at this party. Now, this group's, I know, a little rowdier, but other Christians, because I can tell you guys, are, this is the real deal here. This is real. Some of us, let's be honest, we've avoided the world, and the enemy's invaded it. And now we're in a position where we might not go to that party or be in that environment. Now listen, if you're still being tested there, don't go there. But once you, you can't, you don't have authority over something you still entertain. But once you stop entertaining it, you have authority over it, then God will send you back into it. And some of us will be like, I can't be there because Aunt Sharon's there and she's a boozer. And then the F words come out and oh my God, the cigarette smoke. And do you want to smell like hell in heaven? Like, 
right? And we start going, we can't go there because it's dark there. First of all, we're not called to be news reporters telling the world how dark the darkness is. We're called to be a light to show the world how bright his light can be. And darkness does not overshadow light. It's just the absence of light. So if it's dark in that school, it's because you're not there yet. If it's dark in that industry, it's because you're not there yet. If it's dark in that zip code or in that city, it's just because you're not there yet. Don't be afraid of it. Invade it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes the party. I don't even got time for this. We got to keep moving. The second thing we can learn about this passage of Scripture is this interesting dialogue that Jesus has with his mother. As you read the text, Jesus' mother shows up to him and she says these words. She says, Jesus, we, we have no more wine. And then he says these words, woman, <laughs> woman, it's not my time. Question, was it his time? Well, it's just, Maybe, maybe this is the side. Maybe this is the IQ goes up this way. I'm just, you're like, yeah, I knew it. I'm just joking. You're beautiful too. Please don't hate me. Jesus said, it's not my time to do the miracle. Was it Jesus's time or not? Thank you. It's simple. Jesus said it. It's not a trick question. Everyone's like, yes, I got you. No, no, no. Super simple. No, Jesus says it's not my time. Is he lying? It's not his time but he does the miracle. Have you ever wondered why he does the miracle? After he clearly says, it's not my time. I think one of the reasons why he does the miracle is the difference in statements that Mary issues him. The first statement, she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, we're out of wine. What is she saying? Jesus, look at my need. Jesus, we're out of wine. Jesus, look at my need. Jesus says, I don't have time for need. And then she shifts from a need-based statement to a faith-based declaration. She goes, Jesus, they have no more wine to do whatever he tells you to do. So you need to understand something as believers, especially as Jesus is issuing this new way of living in a lifestyle of miracles. One, Jesus knows our need. He can supply all of our needs, but he is not moved by our needs. Now you might say, Jedediah, how do I know that? Well, if he was moved by our needs and there'd be a revival and an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the greatest slums of the world, the most poverty-stricken, outlooked, and overlooked places in humanity, but that's not the case because we have a God that knows our need, can meet our need, but he is moved by our faith. And she goes to Jesus and says, looks at my need, and he says, no, that's the Old Testament. I don't have time for need. This is the New Testament. I respond to faith which means we have to stop pleading and we have to start declaring. We have to stop making requests and we have to start making declarations. How do we know this is true? Look at Jesus in the boat with the disciples. There's a storm, you know, they're in this boat and, and, and they wake up, Jesus, Jesus, stop this storm, which would basically be like praying, right? There's a circumstance, a situation, we need help. They run to Jesus, prayer, Jesus, help us. Jesus calms the storm, AKA answers the prayer, and then he rebukes them for lack of faith. For us, we would consider that successful Christianity. Problem, prayer, he answers, success. But there comes a season where we stop pleading because some of us, are we, we don't have a revelation of how good he is, so we feel like we have to show him how bad it is so that he would have compassion to move. The fact that we don't see him right is the reason why we're praying wrong. 
But if you actually see that he's already given you every good gift, we don't say, Jesus, but look, she's so sick. No, we stand up and says, by your stripes, we were healed. But Jesus, there's no money in the bank. But I know you will supply all my needs according to your richest blessing. But look at what's happening in America. No, this is the best time for the church. And this is the best time for our city. We are standing in the best decade of ministry history since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We got to stop pleading and we got to start proclaiming. I don't have, it's not my time. It's not my time. Was it his time? Nope. You're there. And I don't feel like everyone's there. Was it, was it his time? No. So are you telling me it wasn't his time? <laughs> so what I'm hearing from what you're telling me is that it wasn't his time. So could it mean if it wasn't his time, but he did it anyways? This is, I feel like I need a runway to walk. Let me just. <laughs> Could it mean that if it wasn't his time, but he did it anyways, could it possibly mean that faith can pull into the now? Yep. What he's reserved for later? Could it possibly mean that there's stuff that God wants to release on your life and your family and your business and your city and your church and your world five years from now? Revival anointing that he's laid out 10 years from now. But could it mean that when you step in a place of faith, you can begin to pull into the right now something that was clearly reserved for later? Why did King David act like he was in a new covenant while he was still under the old covenant? Because faith gave him access to something then that was only reserved for something later. What would it look like C3 as you get ready for vision builders, as you get ready to take more ground in San Diego, what would it look like if we began to pull in buildings now that were five years from now? Pull in salvations now that are a decade from now. Pull in outpouring of the Holy Ghost, revival, breakthrough, citywide transformation. What would it look like if you said, I know logic says it's later, but my faith says it's Which is why Hebrews says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You don't need faith for tomorrow. Faith is alive and gives action to something today. And because you have faith for today, you can have hope for tomorrow. We don't need faith for tomorrow. We have hope for tomorrow built on a living faith today. I know what the doctors said, but now faith. I know what the divorce papers said, but now faith. I know what your season looks like, but now faith. I know you feel like it's just going to be another year like last year, but now faith. I know it looks like it's out of touch, out of reach, impossible. Can I tell you something? That's the good news. God only does the impossible. If it's possible, he's not a part of it. Why does he need to be involved? He only does impossible things. So if you're sitting here saying, well, Jedediah, it's impossible. Perfect. Now faith can pull God to do something right now. That he's reserved for later. For later, which means, helping anyone tonight? Which means the level of your faith will determine the level of your breakthrough. Which means the level of your faith determines the level of your breakthrough. You know, as I was preparing for here specifically, I started thinking about the story of the Roman centurion in Matthew 8. Everyone familiar with that story? Just not the point of the message, but I want to get this out. You know, this, this Roman centurion is sitting there. He has this interaction with Jesus, and he approaches him and says, Jesus, my servant's sick. 
You know, he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, hey, do you want me to come and heal him? Have you got to do your own biblical due diligence? I don't have it all on there. I don't have time for it. So read your Bible. Point of the story. Go read your own Bible. Do your biblical due diligence. But this Roman centurion has this revelation of Jesus, which is unbelievable. As Jesus is in this conversation with him, he says these words. He says, Jesus, Jedediah paraphrasing, but he says, Jesus, I'm like you. He doesn't say a man who's over 100 soldiers. He says, I'm, I'm like you, a man who's under authority. Therefore, I'm over 100 men. He actually had a revelation of the posture and the position of Jesus that no one following Jesus saw. He didn't just see him as a man of authority. He saw him as a man who positioned himself under authority, which is why Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father do, and I can only say what I hear my father say. He was living moment by moment, minute by minute, by direction from heaven. And he said, Jesus, I'm just like you, a man who's under, therefore I'm over. Because my posture and my position of being under is what allows me to actually be over. Some of you have not come under authority. Listen, you, it's not about the person you're under, it's about the principle of being under. And, and I, every single entrepreneur, leader, no matter how successful you've been, needs a pastor. Why? Because when you're under authority, you actually now have an extension on more authority. Some of you have not found authority in your marriage because you're not under authority. Some of you haven't found authority in finances because you don't tithe, you don't give. It's a biblical precedent. Some of you haven't found authority in breakthrough because you're not under accountability in the connect group. So he says, listen, my ability to be under is actually what positions me to be over. Jesus says, I love these words. He goes, do you want me to come to the house and do the miracle? And I love how Jesus always wants us to clarify the level of miracle we're looking for. We see this in Mark 10 with blind Bartimaeus. He's a blind man on the side of the road. If you know, he's, he's yelling out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus shows up and he looks at him and he actually says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, at that moment, if you were like me, a little sarcastic inside, I'd be like, I feel like I got the wrong guy. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Jesus, what do you mean? What do I want you to do? But he knew, Jesus knew that this blind man could have been looking for a blessing instead of a breakthrough. That's right. He could have said, I want bread. He could have said, I want a home. He could have said, I want provision. He didn't have to clarify. He wanted a miracle. Jesus said, I want you to clarify exactly what you're expecting me to do. And this is what we see with this Roman centurion. Jesus says, do you want me to come to the house and heal your servant? And then this Roman centurion, who's not a Christian, who's never received Jesus Christ in his life, he actually begins to make up a miracle. Think about it, it had never been done before. In scripture, Jesus had never healed someone without being in proximity, without being in the sound of his voice, being able to touch them. All up until this point, there had never been a miracle where Jesus was not in the room. And this Roman centurion just begins to make it up. You know what, just text it in, Jesus. Just a share code, 221. Text it to my friend, just quick. Just leave a voice memo. Just send this, like, just a quick FaceTime, Jesus. Like, he just begins to make up the miracle. If Jesus has given us all a blank check, why do we stop writing zeros? Why do we? It's like we have faith, we have faith, and then we face facts. And at some point, we, we begin to stop making up the miracle. But in this context, he makes it up. Just come to, don't come to the house. Just say the words. The most powerful part, we're going to end with this. The most powerful part is Matthew 8, 13. Jesus said to this Roman centurion, after he clearly made up this miracle, he said, go, let it be done, just as you believed it to be. You hear the words? 
Not as I believed it to be. Jesus said, clarify the level of your faith so that I know the level of breakthrough. And as he began to make up the miracle, Jesus does the miracle just as he made it up. Go, let it be done, just as you believed it to be. So my question is for all of us tonight, is our life possibly, sometimes if not all the time, simply self-fulfilling prophecy of what we believed it to be? Never gonna find a man. In fact, there's no good men left, just as you believed it to be. Never be able to get out of debt. My family was in debt, my grandparents were in debt. It's just a way of life, great, just as you believed it to be. I'll never find a girl that's pure. It's just impossible these days. Well, just as you believed it to be, I'll, I'll never have something significant to say. I'll never be able to give enough or make enough or earn enough. I'll, I'll never see breakthrough in my family. I'll never see my cousin come back to Christ. I'll never see that miracle I've been praying for. Just as you believed it to be. Could our lives as believers simply be exactly what we're believing it to be? But what would it look like if we shifted our faith? What would it look like if we realigned our expectation? What if we began to make up a miracle like God was going to show up no matter what? If God answered your prayers, would it change your life or would it change your world? What are you believing it to be? What are you believing it to be? This year, this month, I just felt like God said, come on, I want to add fresh faith to the vision that's already been laid out. Because the, the, the visionary determines the vision, but those that are resourcing it determine the pace. Which means, what are you expecting it to be? What are you expecting it to be this week, this month? Why are we waiting for the next six campuses or 16 campuses? What are we waiting for just as you believed it to be? You know, as, as I've been in Peru, Peru is the next one nation one day. I don't even have time to talk about it, but we got 5,000 people coming there in 35 days. 33 nations, 150 different churches from all over the world, partnering with 5,000 Peruvians. It's outrageous what God's doing in that nation. President involved, vice president involved, ministry leaders involved, ministry of women, ministry of education. Like, it's crazy what God's doing there. And every time I sit with these Peruvian leaders, and most of it is in a non-faith context, I always say, you know, I spend a lot of time watching your TV and reading your newspapers. And they're like, okay, cool, fun fact, weird white person, you know, it's like... <laughs> Great job, Kringito. You know, it's like, what's the... And I go, no, I spent a lot of time watching your news and reading your newspapers in November of 2019. And they go, what? And they go, I spent a lot of time reading your news in November of 2019. Watching your news in November of 2019. And they say, why? And I go, because I, I'm watching what I expect it to be. And although domestic abuse is one of the number one issues in the nation, when I read the news three months after one nation one day, I don't see another woman being beaten to death by their husband. I don't see another case of corruption. I don't see the church being attacked by seeing the church being elevated. When I stand in that moment, what am I expecting it to be? I'm expecting there to be revival in the nation. So my question is for you, what are you expecting it to be, C3? What are you believing it to be right now? What, what are you wanting to see in this city? What are you wanting to see this month, this weekend, this year? Is there anyone with faith that would begin to clarify their expectations? Is there anyone that would be willing to stand to their feet and stop requesting and start declaring? Is there anyone that would anchor themselves into an unreasonable, unshakable faith and saying it might look like it should be a year from now, five years from now, but my faith wants it right now. What are you expecting it to be? If you're standing, if you're standing. If you're not standing, stand. We're about to close. 
I really want to end this way. And you might not be used to this or you might be, but it will be returned to your regular scheduled broadcast next week. So that's the good news. But what if we could begin to declare right now what we wanted? What if you could just open your mouth for a moment? Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're saying, Jedediah, I've, I've stopped believing. I get it. I, I've ran out of faith. I get it. But it's time for us to be known for what we've always supposed to be known for. We're not supposed to be known for hopers or wishers or just thinkers or dreamers. We were known from the beginning as believers. And God's giving you an invitation to remove all limitation and start believing for the impossible. Would you just for a moment just begin to open your own mouth? Just have a moment with God and begin to declare what you're expecting. Come on, just begin to declare what you're seeing. Right now for that loved one you thought would never get saved, this is their year for eradical salvations that are unexpected, for prodigals to come home. Come on, I just give you permission. Take a moment. Just begin to declare. Just to begin to prophesy. What are you expecting to take place in the high school, young leader? What do you expect to take place on that university campus? What are you expecting the first campus in San Marcos when it's open? How many people are going to be there? What are you expecting it to be. Come on, let's just anchor ourselves in faith for a moment and to begin to declare. Come on, go ahead. Begin to declare. Come on, begin to speak out with boldness. Begin to articulate the level of miracle you are expecting. I'll tell you what I see. I see miracles happening before people ever get prayed for. I see people encountering the glory of God, the reality of his grace, before they ever walk into the building. I see God accelerating the process, buildings being given, inheritance being turned over, more staff being raised up, more students in a leadership college. Come on, what are you expecting it to be? right now in this room if you came in here in need of a miracle in your body you can't talk a message like this without demonstrating the reality of what's happening have you walked in here with an issue a pain a physical ailment something that is limiting you you can feel it right now you want a miracle you're saying this is my moment what are you expecting it to look like would you just raise your hand just quickly just raise your hand just quickly, quickly. We already prayed once, but just if you got someone around you, you know what to do, church. Let's just gently, quickly just release right now. Just release right now. Father God, I thank you. Tumors are being eradicated from body. God, I thank you, Lord, that there's going to report that you're cancer-free in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that all pain is leaving bodies. Peace is coming to homes. Peace is coming to situations. God, we thank you right now, Lord, that every infirmity, every sickness is being healed in Jesus' name. You paid a price 2,000 years ago, so we don't have to pay a price today in Jesus' name. something different in your body hear me it'd be foolish for you to act like something's happening if it's not we don't need fake miracles we got enough real ones amen but if you felt something happening in your body like instantly there's pain that left there's mobility that's come back some of you might not know but you're you're clear God is healing you right now something shifted could you just raise your hand quickly just quickly come on I see that hand right there come on who else quickly I see that hand right there come on who else just raise your hand feel something shifting from my multiple hands.
as you grab your seats, we're about ready to close. You might be saying, Jedediah, what do you expect to happen next? Jedediah, what are you expecting for C3? I know I'm new to the family, but I'm like the adopted cousin that's finally come home. What are you expecting? What am I expecting next? Whatever you believed it to be. What I'm expecting, whatever you just made up in your mind. That's how crazy it is. This is not a name and claim it. We're not talking about possessions for pleasure. We're talking about God's divine will for purpose. Drastically different. If God answered your prayers, does your life change or does the world change? That's how you know if your motive is right. But I'm believing it to be better than you expected, sooner than you imagined, and way beyond anything you could conceive, amen? With heads bowed and eyes closed, just get ready to end this service. And just wanna pray really for for two groups of people here tonight. You know, you're here and you've ne maybe never been in a worship experience like this. Maybe you've never seen someone yell and sweat so much and veins pop out. Maybe you have no idea what's going on, but something inside of you is saying this is real. Something inside of you is saying this is right. Hear me for a second. If we were to have a conversation, just me and you, you might be using words like this, Jedediah, I can't figure it out on my own. Jedediah, I can't restore my marriage on my own. I can't get out of debt on my own. I can't figure out my relationship crisis on my own. I can't kick this habit on my own. If we were to have that conversation, maybe the words you would say was, Jedediah, I need help. Let me tell you something, friend. If you're here tonight saying you need help, your soul is saying you need Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only solution. He's the only one that can fix and fill that God-sized shape in your heart. That, that hole was made for him to fill. And if you're here tonight, he wants to give you what we call this incredible exchange. Your past and your pain for his plan and his promise. He takes your worst and he gives you his best. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can never work for it. It's a gift that you simply have to receive. And we help you receive this gift of forgiveness. Receive this gift of being in right standing with God by saying a simple prayer. In fact, I'm gonna say it and you're gonna repeat it after me so you don't have to worry about what to say. And right now, we're actually gonna say this together as one family, we're gonna say this out loud. If that's you and you feel this is your moment, would you be so bold and courageous? Could we all just repeat this after me? Could you say, dear Jesus, I need you. I've made mistakes, I've messed up, and I need you in my life. Would you come into my heart tonight? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me brand new? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. From this moment forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus, name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, eyes closed, just one more moment. At C3, we have no desire to embarrass any one of you. It's just a moment right now between me, you, and God. And if you're here today and you've said, Jedediah, I wanted to say that prayer, I needed to say that prayer. I meant it when I said that prayer. Hear me, friend, I'm not saying you've got it all figured out, that you're perfect, that you're never gonna mess up again. No, what you're saying is that in view of what Christ did for me and in light of eternity, in this moment, I wanted to and I needed to, thank you for including me in that prayer. If that's you, or you've said this prayer before, but hear me, you're not actively following Jesus. For you, this is not a matter of you going to heaven. This is a matter of heaven coming to earth because you might know Jesus as Savior, but if you were to be honest, you don't know him as Lord. So if that's you tonight, 
And you've said this prayer before, but you're saying, Jedediah, I want to realign my life to actively pursuing him. Hear me, friend, if you don't know the last thing he told you to do, or if you're not moving towards something he told you to do, that means you're not following him. And this is your moment, not just to receive salvation, but to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if that's you, you're in one of those two categories. You said that prayer first time, 50th time, but you wanted to and you needed to. Or you're saying, tonight, I'm gonna start actively pursuing him. If that's you, would you just quickly raise your hand right now to let me know who you are? I need to see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. See these hands on the side, hands all across the middle. See these hands, I see these hands. See these hands, you know what? There's, there's so many hands being raised. I feel there's something significant when you move beyond a hand raise to standing in your seat and saying, this was my moment. If you feel that right now, if you raise your hand, there's no pressure. This does not negate the decision you made, but there's something significant about stay, taking a stand for Christ. And hear me, you're in the safest place to do it. You have, a, you have a group of people that don't just want to accept you, they want to celebrate you. So if you raise that hand, said that prayer and you wanted to, would you just, would you stand to your feet right now? I know that might not be normal for you, but would you just stand if you have your hands raised? I see these standing. Come on, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Come on. You know, if you're standing, would you be willing to just meet me down front right now? If, if you could, we got a handful of people that. Come on, if you're standing right now, if you would just meet me down front, if you made this decision. Come on, even if you're saying tonight's the night I'm redefining my life. turn the lights on, the band warmed up for this moment, for your moment. For I'm telling you, for some of you, you're about to feel God right now. The circumstances, situations, things you've been facing that are about to be washed away forever. I can tell you, you've made the greatest decision of your life. And even if you didn't come down front, you still have a moment to make sure you get a free resource of following Jesus' book and a Bible. But I just want to tell each and every one of you, I'm about to turn it over. As you can tell, I'm trying to stop talking. But I wanna, if, if this was my church, I would wanna tell each and every one of you, the, the, this is the greatest decision you've made, but the greatest you, mistake you can make after this would be to leave here and do life alone. The enemy wants you to make this decision and then go live life alone, without a church, without a connect group, without community. And what I've realized is that an isolated Christian is a defeated Christian. In fact, let's just be honest, an isolated anyone is a defeated everyone. I don't know anyone that's consecutively won over long periods of time alone. Everyone does it with a family, with a team, with a coach. And we don't want to welcome you into a religion tonight. We're welcoming you into a relationship. It's not a building. It's a home. And this is your family. You found a great place to call home. And we would love you to be a part of this journey. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.